Hey, good to see everyone, eh? Um, I'm just a bit sick, so I'm using this mic so when I cough, I can not cough into the other one, if you know what I mean. So I kind of apologise for my sickness, but... Well, good. Hey, so we're doing, um, we're carrying on in Nehemiah. Do you want to check out that slide, um, Jordan? Um, so we're carrying on in Nehemiah. So um, I've had heaps of good feedback eh, from people, which has been really cool, like really enjoying going through this book. And shout out to Tina. If you missed Tina's message last week, it was just phenomenal. Eh? I've had so many people, it always makes me feel really stink because so many people go, oh my gosh, that Tina can preach. That was an amazing sermon. And I'm like, what about me, man? What am I like? No. So super good message last week, real clear, real strong about side by side. So if you missed it, I really encourage you, you can um, find online, listen to the podcast, say it was super good and it gets you, keeps you in that whole flow of where we're going with Nehemiah. So um, today I'm looking at four chapters, which is just madness. So I'm just going to sneak a little bit out of it, but a really quick recap. And I know every week we do a recap and you're all probably like, oh my gosh, if I hear another recap, I'm going to like punch someone. So fast, fast recap. Nehemiah, super legend, in Babylon, remember the captivity thing. Um, the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed, which is also a metaphor for the whole nations in disarray, right? Which means the baddies can attack at any time. Nehemiah's the man, asks the king, gets sent back. He goes back and he's like, whoop, whoop, troops, 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 people, 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 massive unity. Everyone's behind him. They're rebuilding the wall. Everything's going fantastic. And then heaps of opposition, okay? And so one of the cool things you can see is this going, yeah. So one of the cool things you can see is if you look at the... Um, the, the four kind of chapters I'm covering, it's all about this opposition. So let me check it up. Is this going? Nope. Aye. So opposition from outside in chapter four. Um, chapter five is opposition from within. And then chapter six is opposition from outside again. And then chapter seven is a list of everyone who returns, right? Which is kind of, it's still really interesting. But if you're like a lot of people, and a few of you have admitted to me, which I'm pretty sure this means you lost your salvation, which I'm joking, that often when you get to those lists of names, you're just like, scroll, scroll, scroll. Ooh, we're back to cool story stuff. So if you're like me, you read every, no, I don't even read every name, right? I'm just skimming. I'm like, wow, there's too many names in there. Um, so talking a lot about opposition. So hands up. Who's ever had some opposition in their life? Anyone? Okay, so if your hand's not up, you're probably a liar, liar, pants on fire, yeah? Because we all have opposition. So I thought I'd start with two of the funniest, and they're not really that funny, but I think they're pretty funny stories about opposition that I've had. I'm not at Nehemiah level. He gets, like, next-level opposition, as we're going to see. But a couple of crazy ones. So I used to be the principal of a Bible college over in Tauranga, and we had students from all over the country. And um, a couple of my favorite opposition um, things were at uh, one time – Oh my gosh, I can't breathe. I need water, sorry. Um, so because we're at Bible college, we're at university level. So first and second year of uni is the, the level that we were lecturing at and all that kind of stuff. And to do that, there's certain academic standards that you just have to follow from the government to continue being accredited. And one of them is that you had to use gender-inclusive language in your assignments. Makes sense, right? So you're not allowed to say mankind, you have to say humankind. You can't say man, meaning everyone, you have to say people. Makes sense, pretty simple, right? And it's just a government requirement. And it's like, eh, all good. Um, and so we had a lot of conservative churches. So I was the principal and the boss. A lot of conservative churches that thought we were the most evil Bible college ever for forcing our students to be so liberal that they would have to, which to me just blows my mind. And so I'd get these hilarious phone calls. And my favorite one ever was this pastor rang, who I knew relatively well. And he rang and he just screamed at me for about five minutes about how liberal we were. And we're so, and he would, his church was so conservative, they would never have sent students to our Bible college anyway. But he still needed to tell me how evil I was and leading students. And I just kind of waited on the phone until he took a breath. And I was like, bro. And then he just hung up. And I was like, man. So I thought that was funny. You guys didn't really laugh, but that's all good. 
Um, the other one, which I thought was even funnier, was um, so prosperity theology, if you know what prosperity theology is. So simple definition of that, so simple definition, and there's all sorts of variations of it, is where you basically say God has to do something if I do something. So if I give money to the church or if I serve in the church, then God has to bless me. That's the basis of it. So if I give money to the church, God has to bless me financially. He has to fix my kids, which is impossible for any parent. Amen? Like only God can fix our kids. Can I hear an amen? No amens? All right. Thanks. Um, if I serve in the church, God will, you know, my finances or blah, blah, blah. Right, crazy, right? So I used to have a lecture in one of my lectures in theology explaining that I didn't believe in prosperity theology and looking at verses in the Bible that showed that I don't think it's true and blah, blah, blah. And then I had this one pastor who I knew super well ring me and he was like, hey, man, we've got some big troubles here at our church about you. And I was like, ah, awesome, what's happening? And he said, the last two elders meetings, we've basically spent most of the time talking about you and how terrible your teaching is and that you're pushing prosperity theology on all the students. And I was like, what the heck? I do the complete opposite. And a student had sat in the lectures and as students do, kind of zoned in and out, I guess, and somehow thought that that's what I was teaching, had gone home and told the elders who'd now had two meetings about me, which I felt pretty privileged to be. And so this guy was ringing saying, we're going to figure this out. This is so, I don't know. I thought they were kind of funny oppositions. Um, so one of the questions I want us to think about is when we get attacked, when we get opposition, when we get hurt, when we get you know, horribly challenged wrongly and stuff, how do we react, right, as Christians? How do we react? And the funny thing is when you see how Nehemiah reacts, heaps of you are going to be like, oh, man, I want to, that's just fantastic. But then there's a catch coming, right? So that's kind of where we're heading anyway. It's kind of, I think it's kind of cool. Um, okay, so I've got a couple of little um, a couple of little points. Here's the first one, um, and I gave it this crazy title, right? Can a fox break a wall? Can a fox break a wall, right? And that's what John John read before. It was so funny. So I'm going to read it again. So I kind of apologize to John John, but it's just such a funny, funny, funny um, passage that I need to read it again. So if you've got your Bible, hey, jump to chapter four. It's a really cool passage, um, and follow along, right? Now, this is the way to imagine it, I think, right? So who's been to a mall? Anyone ever been to a mall? So that's everyone. Come on, audience participation. We'll try it again. Who's been to a mall? Stop, Mike. See, Mike's always a good participation. We've all been to a mall. So imagine you're at a mall, and there's a bunch of like, I don't know, 15, 16-year-old boys. See you with me? 15, 16-year-old boys, and they are cooler than cool. They're standing, leaning a little bit. They are so cool. And then they see one of their mates from school who they totally don't like walking past. You got that image in your head? Because they're so cool. Are you with me? Okay, thank. I love the. I always love the feedback from you all. It's amazing. Okay, so I'm going to read it. And this, imagine that in your head. Sanballat was very angry when he learned we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends. And I imagine him doing a bit of a nanel nanet, um, and the Sumerian officers. Now, a side note. Um, there's an ancient papyrus um, from Egypt called the Elephantine Papyrus, which is super ancient, which was written at this time. And it actually lists Sanballat and Tobiah in there because they're really important guys. So they're actually leaders of whole little nations at this time. So they're really important, but yet their mocking is just so lame. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? I can just imagine the boys. Are you with me? Eh? You can imagine boys at them all being like, oh, what a loser, bro. Look at your hair. Oh. Um, what does this bunch of poor feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And then it's like the ultimate mock. 
and charred ones at that. Because as we all know, you don't build a wall out of charred rocks. I have no idea what that means. I always thought that was funny. It's like this little added thing. But then the ultimate, because you know how when boys do this, and girls would never do this, right, just boys, there's always one guy who just goes a little bit further, and he eggs them on, eggs them on. You with me, eh? Yeah. You guys. No, I know. I know you're all listening so intently. I catch you by surprise when I actually ask the feedback. Because this is my favorite line. And John Dodd read this so well. And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who's actually a super important dude, side note, was standing beside him. And he remarked, yeah, that's me adding that, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on the top of it. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Such nerds. So remember, I showed you that picture a few weeks ago. And so the wall is like meters and meters and meters thick. In places, it's like, I don't know, 15, 20 meters thick. It's massive. So just this mocking, this mocking. So one of the questions I said that we want to think about is, how do we respond when we're mocked? How do we respond when we're challenged? How do we respond when we're accused of stuff? Because it's 2022, and you're going to get challenged. You're going to get attacked. You're going to be unjustly mocked by people, right? At, at work and church and life, it just kind of happens. So how do we respond to that? And when I was thinking about this week, my brain straight away went sideways to Satan, right? So Satan is the ultimate accuser, the ultimate mocker of us, right? So if you've got your Bible, jump over to um, Revelation 12, and we're going to read verses 9 and 10. And you see in here real clearly the, the, this, this mocking of Satan, um, of, of us by Satan, sorry. Where are we going? Revelation 12, verse 9. So again, we're thinking about how do we respond when we get like attacked, accused, mocked, whatever. Um, verse 9 says, so this is talking in, in the future, but you can see it applies to even now. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. So this is one of his main jobs, right? It's to deceive us, right? You know from Peter, you know from James that he devours, right? He, he attacks but one of his key things is to be a deceiver. So if, if Satan had a job description, one of the top things would be just to deceive people, right? That's one of his main jobs. And then verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. I, every time I read those two verses, I was about bursting into tears. I'm just like, yes! For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night I just want you to know that because you're a Christian, <laughs> if you're in a relationship with God, then Satan absolutely hates you. <laughs> he really, really hates you. Um, whether you're aware of it or not, he is accusing you before God day and night, is what that verse said. Um, he really does desire to devour you, to try and pull you away from your relationship with God, which I don't think he can do, but that's his number one goal, right? To deceive you, to accuse you. And what, what John's writing here is that Satan's before God day and night, day and night saying, oh my gosh, did you see what so-and-so just did? Man, look at that sin they did then. Man, did you see the thought they just did? Well, did you see where their eyes just went? Well, did you see that TV show they just watched? Well, did you see what they were just reading? The whole time, just accusing, 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 right? He's attacking us, attacking us, attacking us. And that's why Paul makes it so clear, Ephesians 6, so clear, right? For our battle is not against flesh and blood. And I think a lot of us go, nah, most of my attacks come from other people, but Paul's saying, you just, you're missing it. <laughs> Most of the accusations and the mocking and the, the attacks on you are coming from the evil one. For our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principalities, the powers in the 
unseen places, right? And I, to me, this is why Paul makes it so clear that we just have to be super tight with God, right? Super tight with God. Um, you, you guys know, our, like I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, our world seems to be going down the toilet really, really fast, right? The violence in New Zealand is just ramping up like crazy, and we're meant to be this beautiful paradise place. Just, I mean, that, the thing that happened at the base, when was it last week, was just terrifying, right? And it's like, in New Zealand, really, what? Um, I, I say this kind of carefully, but not carefully. I, Satan, I think, is behind a lot of this stuff, right? The way things are just getting worse and worse and worse. And to me, that's why Paul makes it so clear that one of the main things we have to do is just to be super tight with God, right? Super tight with God. So one of the questions I wanted to say is, how are you being tight with God? What are you doing in your normal week, in your normal life that's really connecting you in with God, right? That's helping you to stay tight with God. I talked um, a couple of weeks ago how Joseph wants me to get a tattoo on my hand. So this little tree here, this tree represents Ephesians 3 verse 17 which talks about growing your roots down into God. And Joseph wants to get the roots tattered on my hand, which I'm like, no, that's just too far, right? But I love how Paul says that. He says it in Ephesians 3. He says it in Colossians 2. That as, as believers, the world is turning to custard. We have to be growing our roots down into God. That's where our nourishment comes from. That's where our strength comes from. So my question again is, how are you doing that? How are you growing your roots into God? Because if you don't, Satan's just laughing, and he's just like... <laughs> Man, it's going to be so easy to mess with you. It's so easy. Your roots are so shallow. It's just ridiculous, right? How are you growing your roots down into God, eh? So here's a couple of questions for us to discuss. Here's some questions. What are some of the best things um, to do when you're falsely accused or hurt? And then a second question. How are you centering your life on God at present? So if you're a visitor or you're new with us, um, we do this most Sundays, so everyone's now just going to grab a friend, have a little bit of a chat, but the, the thing is always, if that kind of freaks you out, which it may do, because there's some really weird people in this church, um, just stare at the screen. So if you're staring at the screen, that's a message to people around you that you're just hanging out with Jesus and you don't want to be disturbed, but if you're not staring at the screen, now it's time to have a chat. So choose one or both questions, we'll have a little chat for a few minutes and then we'll carry on. Cool. Okay, let's carry on. Maybe just a couple of people, any thoughts about either of those? Any ideas, any thoughts, any wisdom? Except from this section over here, because you guys are way too crazy. My gosh. Yeah, bro. Yeah, that's so that's so good. Yeah, turn the moment, eh? So sorry, Tom's um Tom. Um Mike is saying, um man, say it again, my brain is not working today. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and it often escalates today. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, eh? Yeah, so just so the video and the, the podcast can hear it, eh? So Mike's saying, man, just don't, don't react if you can. Try and walk away, right? And then definitely take it to God. It's cool, bro. Real cool. Yeah, not just a pretty face, Mike. It's good. What do you reckon, Eli? Yeah, yep. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, that's cool, bro. Yes, Eli's saying that's where we've got to figure out. I, I think part of it is, is it false? Is there some truth to it sometimes? Um, and then go to God and say, hey, is it what this person's saying about me or what I'm hearing, is this from you? Is this from someone else? Where's this coming from? Is this from the evil one? Is it using someone to attack me? So... Cool. Okay, we'll carry on, eh? All good? Cool. Um, I, I do think kind of a, 
an almost, and I say this kind of carefully, almost a frustrating component of opposition and attack and stuff is so often God will allow it. He could stop it, but he will allow it because he knows it draws us closer to him. Does it make sense? Eh? I mean, you guys know when everything's great, it's like, should I have my quiet time today? But when everything's hitting the fan and the planet's falling over, you're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I need you. Where's that worship music? Where's my Bible? You know, we, we run to him and I think God allows that. Um, some of the stuff to happen to just draw us close to him. So I was thinking about this um, this week, and I read this cool little story. So um, there's this lady who's a, um, an author uh, over in the States called A. Parnell Bailey, and she was taking a tour of an orange grove, as you do, which personally I thought was super weird. I'm like, I can see touring a vineyard, but an orange grove seems super weird. But anyway, she was taking a tour of an orange grove, and the irrigation pump, pump had been broken for a few weeks, and heaps of the trees were starting to die. And the guy that was taking the tour then took them to his own orchard. And he said this to the people in the little tour. He said, so he's at his own orchard now. He said, these trees could go without rain for another two weeks. You see, when they were young, I frequently kept water from them. This hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. When others are being scorched by the sun... <laughs> These are finding moisture at a greater depth. I was like, it's cool, eh, for us as Christians. I was thinking, man, it'd be so cool to be like, yeah, I'm the deepest, and not in an arrogant way, I'm the deepest rooted Christian in a gorge. Do you know what I mean? Man, I've worked hard to get my roots down into God, so when I'm getting smashed, my roots are still there drawing up truth from him. I love that, eh? Hey, so let's see how Nehemiah responds, and I think this is kind of funny, right? So if you got your Bible back to Nehemiah 4, um, 4 to 5, let me go back over there. And I know when I read this that some of you will be like, yeah, bro, that's how we should respond, right? Which is not how you should respond. Four and five. Then I prayed. So he's heard this, and it's really hurt him. You can tell, right? Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. And he says, may their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Oh, I just love it. It's um, like when the disciples, if you remember, there's that scene in the, in the gospel scene. There's that part of the gospels where some stuff happens and the disciples say to Jesus, should we call down fire on their heads? And it says, angry Christians are like, yeah, fire when someone's being horrible to us. I think that. You guys are all looking at me like, really, bro? I would never do that, but I know. <laughs> and one of the things to realize is Nehemiah is saying this in line with what God said, right? So God makes it really clear in the Old Testament, you mess with my people, and I will mess with you. That's what he says again and again. You attack my people, and I will attack you. And that's the way that Nehemiah says this. But <laughs> last time I checked, we're Christians, and so we follow the way of Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Matthew 5, and you see how Jesus said we should respond, right? Um, let, me, let me jump there. And again, if you're like, oh man, it's like um, Mike was saying, real easy to read this, but super hard to do, I reckon. Where are we going? So Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, um, Jesus says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And it's like, really? That's really hard. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives a sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, it's super hard, like Mike said, it's super hard to do this. But what we're called to do is forgive that person. 
And he literally says, pray for them that they would be blessed, which is like, really? I want to do the Nehemiah thing. I want to call down fire on their heads. And it's like, oh, man, I've got to pray for them. So, so kind of a weird, very personal story. Um, so as you know, what the heck? Those are fast kids, bro. Back in the day, Joel would have caught them, but now they're just way too fast for them, right? Good job, though. Lead. Joel today is lead elder and worship leader. Next level, right? Next level of blessing on us. So, shut up. Anyway, back to my story. Um, so, as you know, I was sexually abused as a kid growing up, like real bad, like off the charts bad. And as a Christian, I kept sitting in sermons where the preacher would go on about forgiving people, and I was just like, that's never happening, man. I am never going to forgive that guy. And then as I got older and my beard got more white, <laughs> I was like, man, I need to do that because I'm just carrying this hurt, I'm carrying this anger, I'm carrying this burden all the time, right? And Joseph and I used to go to another church before we came to this, the chosen and anointed church. Nah, we used to go to another church, and after one of the sermons, the pastor just said, hey, if anyone wants to come forward for prayer, come on up. And I just felt real strongly, man, I need to deal with this. So I went up um, to some guys I didn't even know, and they're like, what do you want prayer for? And I said, oh, this guy did some stuff to me back in the day. I just really love to be able to forgive him, but I just can't get my heart there. I can't get my soul there. And this guy, he was so funny. He's this real short dude. He's just like, yeah, man, God will do that. I'll just pray. Like, super confident. And in my head, I'm like, whatever, man. I have thought about this, you know, a zillion times. So he just does the most simple prayer ever. You know, God, just, well, whatever he said. It was real short. And I just felt this massive shift. It was freaky. I came boosting back to Joe's. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was the most crazy thing ever. Now, I, I don't think I actually forgave the guy at that point, but it was like something shifted that I was now in a place where I could start trying. Does it make sense, right? And so I took the, the advice of Jesus, which last time I checked is a really good thing to do, and I started to pray for that guy. <laughs> now, the first few times I prayed, I'm pretty sure it was like this. Jesus, bless that guy. And But as you know, when we pray for someone, sometimes God changes them, but most of the time, he changes us, right? And it was actually a really short time that I found I was really praying that God would bless him. Now, I want to say this really clearly. There's no way on the planet I was saying what he did was fine and let's sweep it under the rug and blah, blah, blah. He ended up going to jail for heaps of stuff he did, right? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, man, by following Jesus' example, by not calling down fire from heaven on him or saying like Nehemiah did, don't forgive the sins and trying to pray. God really changed me, right? So at the end of the sermon, I'm going to pray for us. But I want you to be thinking, is there anyone that you're like, man, I know there's someone I need to forgive, but I just cannot get there. Um, so at the end, I'm going to pray that God might just start helping to move your heart, right? And, and it's huge. I'm not saying it's some little thing and I'm going to pray and you'll be like, oh my gosh, thanks. I'm so, maybe God will do that, but so often he doesn't, right? Okay, let's jump over to the um, second point. Um, can a friend break your soul? <laughs> can a friend break your soul? This chapter is just really horrible, right? So if you remember that little outline thing, chapter four is opposition from outside, and chapter five is opposition from inside. And this is, to me, is just hideous, right? So let me read these verses from um, Nehemiah 5. Let me go back. Man, we're reading heaps of Bible today. Eh? It's almost like it's this really cool book or something. Um, Nehemiah chapter 5. Um, so this is this internal oppression now. About this time, so you've got to remember, everything's going really good, right? These external guys, Sanballat and Tobiah and these other clowns are attacking, but they're not getting anywhere. Um, the wall's actually getting built. They're up to half the height, and everyone's celebrating. There's big unity. It's like, whoop, whoop, go team, go. Go team, go. 
And then you read this, and it's like, what the heck? About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews, right? This is real internal. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we've mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. Um, We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We already sold some of our daughters, and we're helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Verse 6, this is Nehemiah, it's so cool. When I heard their complaints, I was ticked. It says I was very angry, but I'm pretty sure he's ticked. After thinking it over, I spoke out against the nobles and officials, and I told, and I, what he says now, you're like, what are they doing? You are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when, you, when they borrow money. And I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who've had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Pretty full on, eh? Selling their children into slavery. This is your own relatives. It's just like this crazy, crazy situation. Um, I talked before, like, what do you do when you have accusations from outside? But to me, way harder is what do you do when you have accusations and hurtful comments from people inside, right? Um, Maybe inside this church, um, which I I can't imagine because this is like the coolest church ever, right? Um, But sometimes in your family, and we all know that, sometimes in families, man, that's where the most hurtful, harmful, horrible comments are made, and it just breaks you. It just hurts so much more than some external thing that may be true or not, right? Um, So how do we respond? And the the answer's the same as with the external. It's in forgiveness, right? It's got to be in forgiveness. Um, I'm going to finish with a couple of quotes, and I'll, I'll make one more little point, but here's a couple of quotes, and... The first one's just a funny one from C.S. Lewis because he is the man, right? I love this. This is one of my favorite forgiveness quotes ever. C.S. Lewis, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I'm just, it's so true. It's so true, right? It's like, yeah, Jesus is all about forgiveness. We should totally forgive. And then someone ticks you off and you're like, oh, man, now I've got to pray for this clown. What the heck? I love that. Okay, here's the next quote. So this next quote is from Bonhoeffer. And... It's a bit of a grunty quote, but what he says to me is so powerful. He's talking, he's going to talk about when someone really hurts you about praying for that person, right? About praying for them, which I know he's supposed to like, but start like I did. Jesus, bless them. Amen. That's it, right? You know, Um, I love what he says. He hears this quote. Bonhoeffer says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me. His face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died. I love that. Let me read that last sentence again. His face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession, meaning prayer, into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died. I love that, eh? Prayer just changes us. (laughs) It really does change us, eh? So Etu, let's all stand up for a minute here. So I want to ask you two questions, I guess. Here's the first one. Is there anyone in this church that you need to forgive, right? Simple question. Is there anyone in this church that rightly, wrongly, whatever, um, 
unintended, they've just really hurt you. Um, and you are holding a grudge against them. <laughs> so I know God can do whatever he wants, but I believe God will never bring the blessing and the peace <laughs> and the healing into your life that he wants to if you're holding that, that grudge against someone, no matter how tiny, no matter how huge. So I'm going to pray in a minute. And if that's you, if you're like, man, then I'd love you to just start praying for that person. That's it. You don't have to go and meet with them because that could just end in tears or be way too painful at this time. But just pray for them. Eh? And maybe at some point, um, it'll be like, hey, can we meet up for a coffee? Or, hey, bro, could you and Craig and I meet up? Or one of the elders or Joe, you know, one of the elders, spouse, something. Sometimes it's easier with a little group and say, hey, you probably don't even know this, but I've been holding a grudge against you for... Well, maybe it's something huge and they know, right? But as a community of God's people, <laughs> we've got to forgive, right? So just start by praying for that person, yeah? And then the other one, which I think is way harder, is what about your own family, <laughs> your immediate family? Is there anyone in your family that you're like, nah, they, that, that hurt was just so huge, I can't, I just can't do that. Um, so all I'm asking again is just to pray for them. That's what Jesus says. Did you notice today? He didn't say go to them. Talk to them yet. <laughs> he said, just start praying for them. And it might be just tiny, like just God bless so-and-so and <laughs> move on. But we want that freedom, maybe. We want that burden to, to be moved off us. So let me pray for us, eh? Yeah, kia ora um, We know the way of Jesus is the best way. We do. Um, and you made us. You designed us. So you know how hard forgiveness can be when the, when the hurt is really, really deep, God. Um, I just really pray no one's hearing me say that you'll just wave a magic wand and the relationship's restored and stuff. I know you can do that at times. We've all seen that happen. But we know so often it takes, man, years of just praying, calling out to you for that person, asking you to bless them, which is so hard, God, man. Yeah. I, I really do right now, Jesus. I just call out to you. Anyone watching on the video, anyone listening on the podcast, anyone here in this room, eh, that's holding some hurt that's in their mind is super justified, eh? Um, but they know because they're a follower of you, they know they need to get this dealt with, eh? I just pray that you will give them this, the strength, the, the boldness to be able to call out to you and just to bless that person, ask you to bless them, God. And we know that that would be the beginning of that journey. Like Bonhoeffer said, eh, it just changes the way we see people. We know it doesn't remove what they did. We're not condoning it. We're not sweeping it under the carpet or anything like that. But we're just wanting to seek forgiveness and restoration of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, thanks that you forgave. Man, the dudes are nailing you to the cross of all things. My gosh. Yeah, I just pray you'll give us that strength to do that, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.